Well, we are in the fourth week of this series on the Sermon of the Mount. And as one writer said, we are starting to get to that part of the sermon where the heads nodding in agreement stop nodding. You know what I mean? People were listening as Jesus stood on that mountain and spoke to them about the blessing of God for broken people and their heads were nodding. They were so happy, they were agreeing. And then Jesus starts to talk about how our righteousness needs to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. And he talks about being salt and light and then he starts in and starts his teaching about how we are to live in this world. And the teaching gets to what I'm gonna talk about today and it gets really hard here and the heads that were nodding kind of stop nodding and start staring at him wondering what's happening. So remember, if you've been here these last few weeks or I'm telling you this morning afresh, do not listen to this teaching this morning unless you are steeped in grace. You cannot run this race, this life Jesus wants us to live without gulping down his grace like water. And remember, I put it on the screen to help us remember this verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, is our home base throughout the whole rest of this teaching. It is our safe place. It is where we run when we fail. And most of us might wanna just get to base right now this morning before I even begin. As I drove over, I thought about stealing a base from like a ball diamond and then just standing on it while I taught, but then I thought I might get arrested, so nix that idea. Um, And the teaching that I'm gonna dig into this morning, I taught to a certain extent about six years ago, uh, but you know what? It's never been more needed today in my life and I believe in yours. So let's dig in. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter five, and I'm just gonna read uh, verses 43 through 48. For many of you, these are familiar words. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I want you to remember that Jesus was speaking to an audience that was filled with people who were an oppressed and occupied people. Rome had been the oppressor of the Jews for decades. And Jesus was speaking these really hard words to people who had to live under the rule of those who actively, daily sought their harm who stood against almost everything the Jews believed in and they ridiculed their faith. His listeners had real enemies. And they lived at that time by what was called the law of reciprocity. It's kind of epitomized by this passage from the book of Leviticus that says this, if anyone injures his or her neighbor, what he has done must be done to him. 
for fracture for fracture, eye for an eye, you know this part, tooth for tooth. As he has injured the other, so he is to be injured, right? Equal retaliation for equal injury. This law was the standard of rightness, fairness, and justice at the time that Jesus spoke his words. So never mind that Gandhi said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. See, an eye for an eye was actually an upgrade compared to how the world was run before Leviticus was written. At that particular time, the world was run by what was called the law of escalation. I just put that on the screen so you could remember this idea. This idea is if someone hits you, you hit them back harder. If someone fractures your arm, you cut their whole arm off, et cetera, et cetera. I watched this several years ago at my house. I'm super pumped Will is here this morning because he'll remember this. He was maybe about 14, so he was just starting to challenge the alpha male status of my husband. And so one day, out of the blue, William tackled Chuck and threatened to butter him with a butter knife. These were the kinds of things men do. I don't understand. Chuck then got the upper hand and escalated the violence, actually buttering Will's ear. Will then escalated even more, announcing that he was going to peanut butter Chuck. Later, Chuck escalated it even further by announcing that he was going to secretly leave a butter knife in front of Will's door when Will went to sleep as a threat of future buttering at any particular point in time. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, so, so you see, before the law of reciprocity, where it was equal violence, there was nothing to protect people from simply escalating the cycle of violence over and over and over. And you can see why people in the day of Jesus believed that living by the law of reciprocity, living by this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, they thought they were being good. But into that world, Jesus introduces not a new law, but a new way of living. And into this world where his people were oppressed by the Romans and everyone lived by the law of reciprocity, Jesus unloads this radical and subversive statement on how life in the kingdom of his father works. And I read through the Matthew section of this before, but Luke also has has his own recording of the Sermon on the Mount. And I just wanna look at the beginning part of Luke's version so we can start to talk about how on earth we might live this out. This is how Luke writes it. Verse 27 of Luke chapter six. Jesus says, but to you who are listening, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He goes on and says a lot more things along these lines, but I figured for our sake this morning, let's just go with a couple passages, shall we? Let's just see what we can do about living this sentence out. So the word that Jesus uses here in the Greek for enemies is intense. It is, it is this idea, this, this enemy idea means somebody who is actively hostile toward you or in direct opposition to you. And the other phrases that Jesus uses in the rest of the text, could you just leave that passage up? 
That might be really helpful. He uses, you know, this statement, those who hate you, those who curse you, those who mistreat you. These are active, powerful words. Jesus' listeners knew their enemies, and they knew that those enemies had an active desire to do them harm. And then Jesus, just as he uses these active, strong words to describe the action of the enemy, he uses four very strong action words to describe how his followers are to respond. He doesn't say, just fake a smile and mind your own business. He doesn't say, pretend to like people, but secretly sabotage their life behind their back. He doesn't say, just be a doormat, just shut your mouth and take it. He says, when you face an enemy, someone who is actively and personally hostile toward you, you are to actively, powerfully, strongly pursue good toward them. Can you see why the heads stop nodding? Because all of your heads stop nodding too. When you are pursued by an enemy, one who is personally hostile toward you, you are to actively, powerfully, strongly pursue good toward them. And the most powerful word Jesus uses here to describe his followers' response to an enemy is the verb agapeo, love your enemies. And it was a rare word in the Greek. It was developed almost exclusively in Christian literature. It was rarely found outside of the New Testament writings. And it has a very unique meaning. When we think of the word love, we tend to think of feelings. I've been working on this. Nothing more than feelings. Sing with me now on this next one feelings. You guys know this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I'll stop. My family is stunned and embarrassed. But I'm driving home a point here. Agapeo love refers not to a feeling, but to an action. To love in this powerful way is to will and to work for the good of another. It is to actively desire and pursue God's best for another. It is not about having warm feelings in your heart. In fact, your feelings are irrelevant. Now, how do we do that? What does that even look like? Thankfully, In this just short sentence in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus answers this question. When we are pursued or slandered or treated poorly or persecuted in our own mind by our enemies, we are to respond with equally active, strong, powerful responses. Agapeo, he says, love your enemies. And then he uses three active verbs to describe what that looks like. He says, do good to them. I think I've got these on a slide. Do good to them, bless them, and pray for them. And none of these phrases are in the passive voice. That means these are not things that we accidentally or naturally do when pursued by an enemy, like whoopsie daisies, I just did good to them. These are always choices. And they are choices that Jesus expects us to make. 
when we are threatened with the horrible butter knife of the enemy, we are called to respond with a triple jujitsu move of agape love. We are called to do good and to bless and to pray. Jesus pushes past the law of escalation and he pushes past the law of reciprocity and he introduces into this world a whole new way to live for those of us who follow him. And it is the way that he lived, the way of agape love. And we are to live it even with and especially with our active enemies. This was the distinctive mark of Jesus' work and Jesus' followers in the world. And this is to be the distinctive mark today of those who follow Jesus. We have a radical alternative to retaliation. Jesus is basically saying, surprise your enemies with powerful kingdom goodness when they treat you badly. Surprise them. So let's do the hard work for just a minute of talking about application. Three ordinary daily places where we can begin to live this out. Places where I believe loving our enemies could change our little corner of the world in ways we can't even imagine. And so the first place I want to talk about where we can practice loving our enemies is in the world of politics. You would have to be a complete hermit to not see that the world of politics in our country, and frankly, I guess across the globe, has regressed to a place of extreme nastiness, name-calling, and even hatred. And in the midst of this stand millions of followers of Jesus, many of whom have gotten duped into believing that if someone has a different political view from ours, this commandment of Jesus no longer applies. And we listen to hate-filled speech on the television and the radio, and as long as that hate is directed towards someone we disagree with politically, we think it's fine. And we laugh and we cheer. We have gotten duped into thinking it is okay to write demeaning and disparaging and hate-filled comments on Facebook or Twitter, and we forward hateful emails to our friends and our family and our colleagues, all the while proclaiming our Christian faith. So six years ago, when I first taught this, I emailed Dave Bartlett, and then this last week I emailed Jeff Mickey because I'd always known there were three things to never bring up at a nice dinner party, and that was money, sex, or politics. I figured the same might be true at church, and you know, if you notice, we don't talk about it much for a reason, and so I told them I wanted to teach that Christians of all people should lead the way towards civility and putting an end to hate speech of any kind in the world of politics. I thought this would be a daring step and I wanted to just get their thoughts on it. And this is a summary, and I put it up on the slide of what Dave and Jeff wrote back to me. 
They said this, I think loving our enemies goes much deeper than a call to be civil and to end hate speech. That's barely a beginning. Jesus might even say, even people not interested in God's way of life are being civil and trying to stop hate speech. My followers are called to a much higher standard. Dave and Jeff went on. Loving those who think differently from us politically means understanding that they as people are far more important than any political view I hold. It means caring for them, wanting the best for them, listening to them, and disagreeing with respect and without demonizing. And doing all this, listen to this people, while understanding I might not be correct on an issue. And this requires humility and a laying down of yourself. And nothing short of the grace of God can provide the power to love our enemies in this current political climate as Jesus calls us to. People want us to take a stand. There's our stand. My Christian friends at Orchard Hill Church, friends from all over the political spectrum. It's time for us to be obedient to Jesus in this part of our lives. Even in the political world, especially in the political world, I don't care what anyone else is doing, cable news channels or radio talk show hosts, I don't care. We are called to love our enemies, to do good, to bless, and to pray, regardless of what they do. And I wanna say one more thing. I didn't check with Jeff and Dave on this, so if, if I lose my job, it's been a nice run. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe considered heresy in some churches today, but I believe it is true and it is in accordance with the teachings of Jesus. God cares more about how we treat human beings than he does about how we vote. Second place where we can live out the teachings of Jesus is in our marriage. Silence. <laughs> Dallas Willard said, if we could really teach the people in our congregations to love their enemies, I believe most Christian marriages could be saved. Nervous laughter. <laughs> and now, listen, I doubt if many of us have ever thought about applying this text to our marriages, whether we are married now or, or hope to be in the future. But since over 50% of us divorce, maybe the next time I perform a wedding, I should suggest this be their life verse. You know, we say stuff like, my husband's not my enemy, he's just a jerk. <laughs> or I don't need to love my wife or pray for her or bless her, she's not my enemy, I just can't live with her. For many, many, many of us, these life-changing, redemptive, transformative words might be God's personal challenge for us this morning. He might be calling some of us right now to start living these commands out in our most daily, intimate, challenging relationships. We need to begin to love our enemies in the relationships where we have pledged our deepest, most sacrificial love. So, 
We remind ourselves that agape love is not about our emotions. It is about our actions. And then what do we do? The first thing we do is we do good to the other person. We find practical ways to pursue the other person's good and their growth. What would make them happy? Do it. What would help them grow as a person? Do it. We should ask ourselves, how can I lay down my life for them so that God can help them become fully alive? And then we should do it. We not only do good to them, we bless them. We find ways to speak good to them in both private and public situations. When I was a a freshman in college, I came home for the summer and my dad and I, for some strange reason, got up at 5.15 in the morning and ran from the east side of Waterloo five miles across town to Burns Park. We swam for an hour and then we ran home. You have to know my dad to know why this was happening. But my mom rode her bike along with us while we ran. And very often, I think unbeknownst to my mother, my dad would talk to me about the amazing traits of his wife. He was blessing her for every mile we ran. (laughs) And the last thing we can do is we can pray. And I don't mean that needly, little, whiny, mean-spirited prayer like, dear God, please make Joe a better person. Help him to not be so selfish and please help him to fix the garbage disposal like he told me he would. And just give me the patience to be able to tolerate his presence and even just his breathing, Lord, please. (laughs) No. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to heal the hurts in their lives. Ask God to show mercy to them. Ask God to make them healthy, whole, and good. Love your enemies even when you're married to them. And let me just say to those of you who are divorced or going through a divorce this morning, I am in no way making light of your pain. I cannot imagine it. But can I say this command is for you too? Even in the midst of what can feel like a battlefield, a minefield, you are called upon by Jesus to pursue the triple jujitsu move of agape love. Our ex-spouses can be our worst enemies and frankly, probably the people Jesus is asking us to love the most by doing and saying good to them, blessing them and praying for them. Your kids will thank you someday. And one last place, and this last place where we can think about loving our enemies is the most tender. Because one of the most formidable enemies many of us face is the enemy that we see in the mirror every morning. We need to learn to see ourselves and love ourselves as God does. And I'm not talking about arrogance here or pursuing some kind of worldly love. I'm talking about this idea that when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, he really intended that you actually love yourself. See, I think Jesus knew that the extent to which we can love our spouse or our neighbor or our enemy is the extent to which we live as his beloved child. We cannot love others, especially our enemies, if we cannot and will not drop the butter knife of self-hatred. 
Brennan Manning writes this. He said, one of the most shocking contradictions in the American church is the intense dislike many disciples of Jesus have for themselves. He says, in my experience, self-hatred is the dominant malaise crippling Christians and stifling their growth in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? God created each one of us in his image and he made each one of you unique and beautiful and he sent his only son to redeem and to repair us and to call us home. And when you and I spend our time dwelling on all the things that are wrong with us and wasting our energy on self-hatred and self-rejection, we wound the heart of our father and we reject his voice that calls us good. Think how much energy could be devoted to partnering with God to redeem and to repair this world if we stopped wasting our energy on self-rejection. Jesus calls us to stop hating ourselves. He says in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you now. Remain in my love. And John writes, we love because he first loved us. So how do we do that? How do we love our enemy when he or she is ourself? Well, some of us need help to do this. We need to see a counselor, but basically all of us can go back to this three-part way of agape love. The first thing that we can do is we can do good to ourselves. We can find ways to be kind and good to ourselves. We can pursue things that bring you life and joy and gratitude. We can simply refuse to give in to the voices of self-hatred. We can reject them as if they were the devil himself. The second thing we can do is we can bless our own selves. Sounds kind of weird, but you can try it. Be done berating yourself. Tell the voices in your head that tell you all the ways you fall short to be gone and replace them with words of truth and love from your father. I I, uh, have taken this to heart recently. I think it means I'm getting a little older, but I talk to myself sometimes and I say good things to myself. So like if I get out of bed in the morning for a morning workout, sometimes I'll just look at myself in the mirror and I'll say, now, good job. That was good work. Or after I do something really hard, like make a phone call I don't want to make, or even, uh, this happened to me once, I taught at Lincoln Center, which is a small, you know, satellite church of ours out in the country, and after I finish teaching, I have to walk out the back door before the service is done so I can get to Grundy Center, walk around the outside, and then take my microphone off and hand it in in the back. But sometimes I say to myself when I finish teaching, now that was a pretty good job, Alice. I, I, you, you should feel good about that. And I think I was saying that into the microphone as I was walking. <laughs> so anyway, you might want to watch when and where you do it, but say good things to yourself for Lord's sake and pray. Pray for your own self and your needs. Ask God to give you your daily bed. Trust him to be the giver of good gifts and ask him to teach you to love yourself and to see yourself as he does. It will help you love others better, trust me. So in this world that is filled with hatred and violence and people attacking each other, 
we are called unequivocally by the one we call Lord to live in a different way and therefore to mirror to the world the heart of our Father. And that is, we are called to love our enemies, to do good to them, to bless them, and to pray for them. And my friends, if we would simply begin to do that, we, through Christ, could change the world. Let's pray. God, we forget that the scriptures tell us that even when we were enemies of you, you pursued us in love for our sake. And therefore, when Jesus said, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect, that's what he's asking us. He's saying, just treat the world like I have treated you. I came after you to do good to you. I spoke words of grace and blessing over you. And the scriptures even tell us that Jesus and the spirit themselves pray for us to the Father within the Trinity. So God, would you give us even this day, right now when we leave this place, some small ways that we can start to live out this jujitsu move of agape love in our world. And when we fail, give us grace. And when we don't fail, maybe God, we should just say to ourselves, hey, that was pretty good, keep going. Help us to do that, God, in your name, amen. <laughs>